the recipient lately of a, a nice box of assorted chocolates, or maybe you splurged on yourself and bought you uh, such a box of chocolates. That's really nice. It's a special treat. We don't get that very often, but when you get one, it's a special treat, and you open that thing up, and there's a lot of delicious stuff in there. You know, some of them in particular, I'm particularly fond of the chocolate-covered cherries, uh, maybe that orange cream that's inside that chocolate thing. Uh, but there's some of them in there that I'm not, I mean, they're okay, but I'm just not really terribly crazy about them. I'm, I'm, I'm not super fond of the toffee ones, you know, that's inside that chocolate, or or uh, um, maybe those Brazil nuts, you know, they, they put those in there. I don't know why they put those in there, because that's not all that good, you know. And so, you know, I'm looking at the chocolates, and I'm wanting to decide what am I going to get. And the problem is that a lot of them look alike, you know. They they have sort of the same size and shape, and um, the appearance, the smell, it, it's a little hard to distinguish. Because I know there's some there that are good, and there's some there that I don't like so much. How do you tell the difference? How do you distinguish between them? That's my question. Well, our lesson this morning is not about assorted chocolate. It's about something a lot more important than that, obviously. We want to talk this morning about religious things and about distinguishing the real thing, the right thing, religiously from things that have a similar appearance. There's a lot of stuff out there that has a similar appearance to the true religion that God requires from us. How do we distinguish those things? That's what we want to talk about in our lesson this morning. Thank you all for being here. I say thank you all. Because, and, and that's, that expression is used rather liberally because we are all not here. Uh, awful lot of people missing today. Uh, uh, the, the, the flu bug and strep throat and who knows what all else has, has hit hard at College View this week. I'm really grateful that it's this weekend rather than last weekend. We all seem to be relatively healthy last weekend, but there's just a lot of sickness and so our number is way diminished today. We're glad that you're here and we hope that you stay healthy and we hope that our Above all else, we hope that our worship and our service to God today will be pleasing and acceptable in His sight. Thank you all for being with us this morning to join in this period of worship. All right, a lot of false religion out there. Uh, it's no news to you that there's just all kinds of religious groups, and there's lots of ways to try to ana- uh, analyze that. You know, uh, it's almost become impossible to get a, a real figure on how many different religious denominations there are in America today. It's up in the thousands, many thousands of different religious denominations in the United States today. But just a simple drive around uh, our community here will show you how many different denominations are present even in our own community. you got Baptists, you got your Free Will Baptists, and your Southern Baptists, and your Missionary Baptists, and your Primitive Baptists, you got all... Even among Baptists, you've got a lot of choices there. There's the Christian Church. There's the Christian Church Disciple of Christ. There's the Christian Christian Church Methodist Episcopal. There's the Christian Scientists. So among all those that have the name Christian in their title, lots of different ones. Then there's the Church of God, the Assembly of God, the the Church of God in Christ, the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. and, And then, of course, there's Churches of Christ. How are we to make this determination? How can you tell? It's very confusing. And I think one of the things that results from all these different religious groups that exist out there is that some people who might honestly want to seek to serve God are confused by what they see in the religious world. It's very confusing. 
But we should take heart to know that the confusion in the religious world is not from God. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33 says. And so there's a right way, and I believe that we can find the right way. Uh, our lesson this morning is intended to sort of help us in analyzing all of this by looking at a false religion that began in Old Testament times. Well, Wednesday night we've been studying about the kings of Israel and Judah, and we, re we read and studied just this last Wednesday night about the kingdom dividing. Uh, when Solomon died and his son Rehoboam took the throne, uh, Rehoboam wasn't a very wise ruler, and so the kingdom split. And the northern kingdom that came to be known as Israel uh, appointed a man named Jeroboam uh, as their king. Well, Jeroboam uh, saw that he had sort of an immediate problem, and he went about to remedy it. I want you to read with me, if you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Kings chapter 12. In fact, this, this is right where uh, we ended our study on Wednesday night. In 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 26, Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If the people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem... Then shall the heart of this people turn again to their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, uh, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. And he made a house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. And he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he made. And he placed in Bethel the priest of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even the, in the month which he had devised of his own heart, and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. Well, what we see there is that Jeroboam did what lots of people have done since that time. Basically, he started his own religion. Jeroboam started his own religion. And so today we want to study this religion of Jeroboam with the idea that all false religion is sort of similar in a way. And if we could identify some of the characteristics of Jeroboam's false religion, we'll see that even today. Uh, we are about 3,000 years removed, maybe not quite that much, but on the order of 3,000 years removed from that time. But it's very interesting that the, the motivations and the actions taken by Jeroboam in establishing his own religion are very similar to what people are doing today as, as false religions are just multiplying in the world. So what can we learn by looking at the religion of Jeroboam that, that we can also see characteristic of false religions in our day? First of all, let's talk about the source of Jeroboam's religion. It was human wisdom. He dreamed it up. It was from his mind, not God. Notice in 1 Kings 12 where we just read in verse 26, it says, Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. Emphasis on it was in his heart. Jeroboam said in his heart. 
And then down in verse 33, So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which, notice, which he had devised of his own heart and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar a burnt offering. Uh, basically, Jeroboam reasoned that if God's law was followed, then it would have a detrimental impact upon his kingdom. Now, if he'd had faith, we talked about this Wednesday night, if he'd had any faith at all, God had promised him that he would bless him if he would be faithful. Obviously, he was not a man of great faith in God. And so he devised in his own heart, if, if, if we do what the law of God says, then this is not going to work out well for me. So as he thought about that, he decided he needed to do something else. He set about to ordain something that suited his interests better. Do you get that? What was best for him? What did what would serve his purposes the best? He dreamed it up. I think as we try to draw this parallel to our day and time, we see that a lot of people in the religious world today have done the same thing. Uh, they're they're not really content with God's plan, uh, and and in fact they may even imagine that they can figure out a better way, come up with a different plan that's better than what God has planned and ordained. And so they change it. They change the rules. They, they, they make up their own rules. Play the game they want to play, the way they want to play it. You know, when we were kids uh, playing sandlot baseball, you know, every once in a while we'd have an argument about a rule in the game of baseball. And occasionally, you know, somebody, one of the guys would get mad. Well, you're just making the rules up as you go along. You can't do that. You can't make up the rules as you go. There are rules. There are set rules, right? But in religion, people think they can. Just make up the rules as they go along. Devise them in their own heart. And that's exactly what Jeroboam was doing here as he set up his religion. You know, we could think about some specific examples of people doing that sort of thing. Very prevalent examples, for instance, in the idea of instrumental music, is really not difficult to prove. And religious historians unanimously agree that the very earliest Christians did not use instruments of music in their worship services. In fact, they even note that this was quite a a distinguishing break from Old Testament Jewish worship to the worship of Christians in the early church. Uh, in, in the temple worship, uh, under Old Testament times, they did use instruments of music. And, and historians note that there was a, a dramatic break as the church began and they did not use those instruments. Where did instrumental music come from then? Why is it so prevalent in the religious world today? Uh, we know as we read through the New Testament that there's an emphasis on vocal music, on singing. Ephesians 5.19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Where did this predominance of instrumental music come from? It came from the hearts of men. In their own mind, they dreamed it up. And now, of course, it's been well documented that this music thing in religious denominations is just going all different directions. And, you know... Very often, some of the worship assemblies uh, that we see depicted uh, in videos and some uh, and, and other forms of media, they look pretty much like a rock concert, you know, like a music concert. Where did all that come from? It didn't come from the Bible. It came from human wisdom. They dreamed it up. It was what they wanted. It served their purposes better. You, you could talk about another example like baptism. You know, the New Testament is really clear about 
the importance of baptism, the necessity of baptism, and God's plan of salvation. It's not the only thing we're to do, but it's one of the important things we do in, in rendering obedience to the Lord. Uh, Jesus said plainly in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. You have to have help to misunderstand that verse, right? It's just too, too plain. So, where did the idea that you don't have to be baptized come from? It came from human wisdom. People dreamed it up because it was not what they wanted. We always stress Colossians 3, verse 17. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of or by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. And so we have to have authority. We can't just dream it up on our own because it's what suits us better. That's what Jeroboam did about 3,000 years ago. It's not what we should do, but it's what a lot of people are doing in the religious world today. In regards to Jeroboam's religion, we see that he was really interested in maintaining his personal following. He, he felt threatened. Uh, in fact, he even said so. He said in his heart, now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of the people turn again to their Lord, even unto Jer to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. It's clear that his concern was for himself and, and for his own personal following. He wanted the people to follow him. He wanted their allegiance to be to him. He wasn't really worried about them serving God. He was worried about... He didn't want them to go back to Rehoboam. But notice... There, there was the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. He wasn't worried about that. He's worried they're going to follow me, they're going to follow Rehoboam. I want them to follow me, not Rehoboam. And it seemed like following the Lord faithfully wasn't even on his radar screen. He wanted this personal following. He wanted the people to be loyal to him. And so he made a move to ensure uh, his personal popularity and following with those northern ten tribes of Israel. Well, again, what, we, what we're trying to stress here is there's, a, there's a, uh, an eerie parallel to religious folks today. You know, we hear all the time about these different religious leaders and how they develop a personal following. Uh, some of the very popular people on radio and TV, some of the television evangelists, you know, uh, have you done any reading? Have you, have you read much about this guy, Joel Olstein, uh, who's probably one of the most popular TV evangelists of the current day? There's been a lot of them uh, in, in recent years, but I, I suppose that he might be at the top of the heap right now. But there are a lot of others. Uh, and when you investigate it all about what they're doing, these people are becoming incredibly <coughs> wealthy by virtue of the fact that they've become popular and people are following them. Uh, what do you think their motives might be in that? Well, it certainly is suspect, isn't it? That they, would, that they would seek after this popularity about the fame and the wealth that attaches to their popularity. Yeah. Now, that clearly seems to have been what was Jeroboam's motive. But the Bible warns, the New Testament warns, that in our day and time there would be uh, as the church developed, as it grew, that there would be this problem of people seeking a personal following. In Acts chapter 20, when Paul was speaking to the elders at Ephesus, 
he said, I know that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, and also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Get that? They'll, they'll want people to follow them. They'll draw disciples away to follow them. In Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1, there were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even dying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Notice, even there, among those false teachers that Peter was describing, was the idea of developing a personal following and, and enriching themselves by virtue of that personal following. Jeroboam, he, he, he did it, and a lot have done it since, in starting a religion for that sort of a reason. How did he appeal to the people? Okay, Jer- Jeroboam says... In my heart, I've got a desire, and I want to make sure I maintain a personal following. But how do you get people to follow that? You know, how do you get people to go along? He knew what he wanted to do, but how did he get the people to go along with that? Well, by appealing to what was convenient for them. I think verse 28 is real telling. The king took counsel, so he talked to some others and got some advice. He took counsel and made two calves of gold and said to them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And so he was appealing to what would be easier for them to do. Now, now get, the, get the idea of this geography. I think we can picture the geography of this in our minds. Judah was to the south and Jerusalem was in Judah. The, the kingdom that Jeroboam had taken over was to the north. It was the northern tribes that were following him. Uh, he didn't want him to go back to Jerusalem. We already talked about some of the reasons why he didn't want him going back to Jerusalem. That's where the temple was. That's where they were worshiping God. But he didn't want him to go back there for fear he'd lose his personal following. And so in order to convince them not to go back to Jerusalem, his argument to them, you know, it's a long way to Jerusalem. It's, it's just too much. It's way too much to expect that you go, have to go all the way to Jerusalem to worship we're going to set up these places of worship here that will be much more convenient for you. And so the appeal of Jeroboam's religion was convenience. Again, I would argue to you that the nature of man hasn't changed really through all these centuries. We always want something that's a little easier. Uh, and, and just from a purely human perspective, you'd have to say that Jeroboam was smart enough to know what to play upon human nature Make it easier. Make it so it's not so demanding. Make it so people don't have to pay that sort of a price. Make it real easy to take. And that's what he did. Now, today, people are doing that as well. We're not talking... I have in mind here not so much the idea of location, you know. It's too far for you to travel. That was the main argument Jeroboam was making. But I'm thinking about the idea of making it easier or more convenient about the demands that are placed upon people. Let me let me give an example. Maybe I'm not making my point too clear, but here's my example. One of the big problems that we face in, in our culture today is the problem of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. You know, and the, and the Bible is 
pretty clear on that. The New Testament will of Jesus Christ is, in my opinion, not difficult to understand. One of the clearest statements of the law of Christ is in Matthew 19.9, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. That's real straightforward. That's not, in my opinion, difficult to understand. But you know, very few people in the religious world are following that strict guidance. You know why? What did Jeroboam say? It's too much for you. You know, and, and I've actually heard, my guess is you've probably also heard someone, when you talk about this strict law of marriage, divorce, and remarried, and that, uh, you know, find out that this, here's a man and a woman, and they're in a marriage relationship, but it's not, it's not a scriptural marriage relationship. It's an adulterous marriage relationship. And that really to be right with God, what you'd have to do is you'd have to separate that marriage relationship. And what is the expression? That's just too much. That's too much to ask. That's too much to expect. And so let's water that down. Let's make it easier. And let's try to figure out some way. And men have been very diligent in trying to come up with explanations and schemes whereby people can stay in adulterous marriages. And, and the biggest part of the religious world just absolutely looks in the other direction. It doesn't pay any attention to that at all. Well, that makes it easier, right? That's more convenient. If I don't have to worry about that, then that's, I like that. You know, I could go with that because I don't have to worry that somehow or another this marriage I'm in is not what it ought to be in, in God's eyes. Make it more convenient. Uh, uh, that's what man's religion does. Make it easier to swallow. Not so much sacrifice, not so much work, not so much effort. Make it more convenient. Jeroboam clearly did that with his religion. Well, what else do you need to do? If you're going to make your own religion up, what else do you need to do? Well, you need to make it at least look similar in, in some aspects to real religion, right? You've got to make it look like, at least, at least nominally, look something like what you read about in the Bible. And Jeroboam did that too. In verse 32 of 1 Kings 12, Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month on the fifteenth day of the month. Notice, like unto the feast that is in Judah, and he offered upon the altar, so did he in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made, and he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he made. And so, he had to make his religion look at least similar to the religion that the people knew came from God. What they were doing in Jerusalem was what God had prescribed to Moses on Mount Sinai. It, it was the law that had regulated the religion of the Jews ever since Moses. And so you don't just come, home, come along and make changes willy-nilly. You, you sort of make them gradual and, and make sure that there's at least a similarity in appearance to what you read about in the Bible. I think Jeroboam was uh, wise enough in his own mind to know that he would have to do that. Make it look similar. That's what false teachers have always done. You don't, you don't come in and announce that you're a false teacher. Listen, I'm a false teacher, and I'm going to tell you this is what I think you ought to do, but admittedly, it's completely contrary to the Bible. How many people you think a false teacher would get to follow them if they did that? I don't think anybody would follow them, right? If they're that overt up front. And so you kind of have to sneak it in, and you have to try to maintain this appearance of similarity and that's what Jeroboam did. 
In the reading that Trent did for us earlier in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul said that we need to be perceptive to that sort of thing because Satan works that way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning verse 13, such are false apostles, deceitful workers, no, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. No marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also trans be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. You know, we need to be aware. Uh, these false teachers, these people who are out here inventing their own religious approach, uh, they're going to try to maintain a similarity in appearance to to what's true and right, we need to be uh, on guard. Uh, that tested out more thoroughly than just giving it a, a casual inspection about appearances. What was the effect of Jeroboam's religion? Well, the effect of Jeroboam's religion was things just went from bad to worse, progressive degeneracy. In verse 31 of our text, 1 Kings 12:31, he made a house of high places, made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. Uh, so, he's changing things. And he's not even honoring you know, those who were designated by God to be priests. He made the priests out of any, anybody who wanted to be a priest could be a priest, basically, is what you read there. And so things went from bad to worse. Jeroboam started this thing out. He's, right at the beginning of the northern kingdom of Israel, he started this out and things just went from bad to worse. If I counted right, in the books of First and Second Kings, there are 17 different references to the sins of Jeroboam. It'll talk about a king and it says he followed after the sins of Jeroboam. Jeroboam started and all the kings that followed him just, just went from bad to worse. In fact, in Second Kings chapter 17, beginning verse 16, they left all the commandments of the Lord to God. Notice, they left all, emphasis on all, they left all the commandments of the Lord to God, made for them, made them molten images, even two calves, made a grove, worshipped at the host, uh, worshipped all the host of heaven, served Baal. They caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire. We've talked about that, you know, sacrificing their babies to their idolatrous gods. Uh, they used divination and enchantments and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Jeroboam had a, uh, a purpose. He started it out, and things just kept getting worse and worse. But you know, uh, what happens is that once we depart from following the Bible strictly and carefully, there's really no place to stop, you know. Because if you allow me to change one thing that I don't like, one thing that I want that suits me more, if you allow me to make my change, then I am in no position to oppose you when you want to have your change, right? Really, logically, realistically, if you allow that first departure, that first purposeful departure from what God has ordained, there's really no stopping place. And that's what happened uh, when Jeroboam uh, initiated these changes uh, in Israel. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul said things are going to go from bad to worse to worse. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, 
without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. But notice, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Uh, here were people who still were having a form of godliness, but they just became more and more and more corrupt. When you skip down to verse 13, he says, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Once you leave the God's will, things are just going to get worse and worse. There's really no stopping place. That's what happened in the northern kingdom of Israel. Jeroboam got it started and it just kept going that way. Finally, we know that the end result of Jeroboam's religion was destruction. Notice there in 2 Kings 17, verse 22, beginning, For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They departed not from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all of his servants, the prophets. So was Israel carried away out of their own land to Assyria unto this day. And so things just kept getting worse and worse. And finally, God punished the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, the, the very brutal Assyrian Empire came and conquered them and carried them away into captivity. Destruction. Destruction is what ultimately results when we abandon God and stop doing His will, when we seek to please ourselves, when we even in our religion, our motive is to do what we want to do. Notice in Matthew chapter 7, very familiar verses to us. In the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, beginning verse 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Notice, they're still calling him Lord. They're still doing some religion, right? But he says, not everyone that calleth, uh, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. That's the destruction that awaits today for those who imagine that they can invent their own religion. And there's a lot of that going on. The end result of it is destruction, eternal destruction in, in judgment from God. Well, what about Jeroboam then? Uh, as I said, this is kind of uh, the reason I chose to, to look at this lesson is because this is right where we're studying in our Wednesday night class. But I just want you to think about how what Jeroboam did is directly parallel to what people are doing religiously today. Uh, it was wrong back then. I think so plainly wrong. When we read about Jeroboam, we can say, boy, that was bad. That was bad on the part of Jeroboam. Jeroboam should have never done that. What we've got to have is enough sense to draw the parallel to today and people doing effectively the very same things religiously today. Thanks for your good attention to what we've had to say. We're going to end the lesson and sing a song of invitation with the intention of getting us all to make sure that we're right with God. And if there's anything that we can do to assist you in helping make your life right with God, we want to do it. If you're not yet a Christian and ready to obey that simple gospel plan of salvation, we want to help you. If you need more study, we want to study with you. Let us know how we can be of assistance if you're a Christian and you're in need of the prayers of the saints. We'll be glad to pray with you and for you. Let us know how we can help while we stand and sing this song.